Hey, it's Allie. And Jenny. And if you like what you're listening to on Once More With Commentary, we would love it, love it if you guys would subscribe either from iTunes or Google Play, because that's where we are. And we'd also love it if you would take a moment to rate and review us on either of those platforms. Thank you. Thank you. And welcome to Once More with Commentary. We are a Buffy podcast, and I'm Allie. And I'm Jenny. And today we are talking about <clears throat> the Zeppo, the Zeppo. <laughs> and Bad Girls. I had to remember, yeah. I almost said um, Helpless and the Zeppo, but that's because I'm looking oh. at my DVD case that has them next to each other. Okay, well, fun fun thing I have to say about that. This is my confession that I mentioned to you a second ago. <gasps> I accidentally watched these episodes out of order. <laughs> Because the stupid previous DVD only had three episodes on it, I think. Mm. So just the Zeppo wasn't in the place that I was expecting, and I knew I hadn't watched Bad Girls, and I was like, yeah, that's the one. And then we got a little bit into it, and they make that like reference about Faith, and I was like, something's gone wrong. <laughs> I looked it up, and I was like, damn it. <laughs> oh, you mean you watched Bad Girls, and then you watched I the Zeppo? I watched Bad Girls, and then I watched the Zeppo. Oh. But like, so like my notes are all out of order, and I'm still like a little bit <laughs> confused. Like I want to really talk about Bad Girls, even though I know it didn't come first. Anyway. Well, I will be sure to It's not a very good you. confession, but <laughs> I just feel stupid because it was like, you know, the way that it's just also the bad, like, DVD layouts, yeah. you know, the they have the titles in one of four corners. And so I naturally was like, oh, we watched two last week, so I'm watching the bottom two today, except that wasn't the way they were laid out on this disc. That so. confuses me, too, because it's like, do I watch the left ones first? Do I watch the top ones? Like, yeah. or are they going clockwise? Yeah. Like, it's what order not, are they going in? It's such a stupid design. Could they just have put numbers on them? Yeah. <laughs> well, and you're right because so mine's kind of laid out that way too, where it's the three of um, the Wish, Amends, and Gingerbread are on one disc, and then exactly the other one. Yeah, and it's like I don't understand why, did you why do they it did that. that? Way? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. There must be some really juicy extras on that disc or something. Um, they might have put the extras on there. And then also I think they did it because um, it looks like the prom and then graduation day one and two are also a three mm. episode disc with like a probably oh. more things. And so maybe they wanted to put special features on, um, on and, at the uh, end and then they had to yeah. find another set of three. I don't know. I don't know. I've thought a lot about this goes, because the yeah. moment I pulled out my season three, like – disc set mm-hmm. I was so confused like I mean yeah, like I was trying really to like because I was like trying to track on a calendar like what we were going to talk about when like on which mm-hmm. episode and then I was like wait what's happening yeah so I totally feel it's your pain worst. probably the only reason I didn't um, also watch them out of order is because I had been thinking about this for like three weeks yeah <laughs> <laughs> I had it but I'm really excited to talk about this epo me too I um I'm going to do a recap, but I yeah. I think first before I do, I want to ask you, because we talked about this okay. a little bit last week, and the, the Zeppo to me is like one of those episodes that I always have a different reaction to every time mm-hmm. I watch oh, it. Oh, you did say that. Because yeah. it is a bit, it's supposed to be sort of like their avant-garde, like deconstructed, like plotline mm-hmm. kind of thing. So just like without getting too much into the plot, like, yeah. do you feel like your reaction this time was like, similar to in the past or do you yes. feel like you kind of came at it like like a different way no I feel like my reaction is similar uh and I I like it I liked this episode I think maybe the very first time I watched this episode I was pretty confused um but 
because I just hadn't been watching Buffy as long and I hadn't been watching TV as long, but like now having been a really like <laughs> avid consumer of television for like a solid decade, like, like I've wasted a lot of my life watching television. I, I don't know. I just really liked this episode. I, and my, my main concern was that the Xander centricness of it was going to turn it ugly somehow for me. But even hating Xander and pretty much saying that every single week that we record this, like, I still really enjoyed this episode. And I enjoyed his role, like, the, the story that they actually do tell in, that, in, the, in it. Well, I agree because I was, I was also very worried because we've sort of, I feel like on this viewing round, I've discovered, mm-hmm. of like, a deeper hate of Xander than I thought <laughs> exactly. I possessed. Same, yeah, and same, it's, yeah. So when you come to the Zeppo, it's, it's Xander's like showcase episode. It is. And yeah. I was worried that because of that, I was not going to like it as much because I feel like the first time I saw it, I was a little bit like, oh, this episode's weird. I don't know. But like yeah. on every subsequent viewing, I appreciate more and more like what they actually Same. did with this episode. But yeah. I think this time I really still appreciated it because of two things. One where it is about Xander, but he's not like cast as the hero really like he's still the sad sack he's still the butt of the jokes like it's still kind of like he's trying Mm -hmm. to prove that he's not all these things but like he is like indisputably Mm -hmm. like the saddest member of you know the Scooby gang (laughs) interesting interesting yeah so that was still like you know he was still exactly where I thought he deserved to be and then the other flip side of that was this is just a really funny episode it's it's really funny and it's just so clever yeah so you should get into it because I want I do want to start bringing up specific points okay. and I don't want to so I'll do a quick rundown um where we come in on the episode and um Buffy and Faith are fighting demons we see Giles is helping and Willow comes in and they have her do a spell um and it's kind of like this goes on for a few minutes before someone's like, hey, where's where's Xander? And mm-hmm. turns out Xander had kind of rushed headlong into battle and gotten knocked out, and they sort of gently suggest to him that maybe because he's the lone, uneducated, rando human in the group that they just, like, leave him on the sidelines from now on. Mm-hmm. And he should maybe sit out a couple battles. And um, Xander takes this a little bit hard, but he can't really argue that you know, he's contributing mm-hmm. something. So, um, and I, I don't think they really give him a choice. Like every time something comes up, mm-hmm. they sort of just dismiss him and say, no, we don't need your help. Um, and in the background of this whole thing, it turns out that these demons they were fighting in the beginning are a sisterhood of demons who, <laughs> which I loved. <laughs> Same. I, in the very beginning too, I was like, oh my, I think that sounds like a woman. Yeah. And then they, they referred to them that way. And I was like, ah, oh, excellent. So they're a sisterhood of demons who want to open the Hellmouth, And, mm-hmm. um, we, you know, we, we hear little bits and pieces about them as this goes on, you know, various characters are checking in with Xander. So we're hearing about the progression of how this is going. And everyone's talking about this um, giant threat that is coming. Like it it might be the end of the world. It's like really dire. Um, Mm -hmm. But the main story that we're following is Xander's quest for coolness because Mm -hmm. he's he's so hurt that he, you know, has kind of been cast out of his, um, not from his friends, but, like, from the main thing that they're doing. Like, he's not able mm-hmm. to help. So um, he buys a new car and thinks that makes him cool. He, um... <laughs> so much to say about that. Yeah, okay. He gets made fun of by Cordelia <laughs> all at all steps along the way. But he, you know, picks up some random girl on the way who likes, likes classic cars. He mm-hmm. runs afoul of, like, the resident kind of, like, I don't know what to call him, like... 
bad boy bully. or bully yeah. or like whatever at the high school. Bad boy bully, um, yeah. <laughs> but he runs into him out on the town and um, ends up tagging along as this guy resurrects three of his friends from <laughs> yeah. the dead. Um, <laughs> yeah. and To form their... Yeah. Mm-hmm, sorry. And they go on like basically a crime spree across Sunnydale mm-hmm. because these guys want to bake a cake, which turns mm-hmm. out to not mean what I mean when I say bake a cake, <laughs> but actually to make a bomb. Um, and these guys end up planting the bomb under the high school, which mm-hmm. is also the site of where these demons are currently opening the Hellmouth and Buffy and Giles and Faith and all the rest are fighting them off um, and trying to close the Hellmouth. So we have these two dueling stories happening. And in mm-hmm. the at the end, Xander basically saves the day by doing nothing because he basically plays chicken with this guy mm-hmm. over the bomb and the guy decides that he doesn't really want to die for real because we also mm-hmm. find out that he's also dead <laughs> or mm-hmm. has previously yeah. been dead and um he turns off the bomb and you know Xander kind of saves the day like the school doesn't blow mm-hmm. up but you know the next day everyone's kind of reminiscing about how they save the world and and Xander mm-hmm. kind of just goes about his day the only he's the only one who knows that he thwarted this mm-hmm. bomb threat which mm-hmm. you could argue that maybe the bomb was sort of small potatoes against like the apocalypse uh, but you know I have I've got theories and questions yeah. about that but yeah so that's basically but he is maybe maybe he's marginally cool in that yeah. final scene he does achieve some kind of coolness. Certainly well, coolness not coolness is maybe not touting your own. Exactly, you know, it's like not. It's a level of not caring. Yeah, you're not touting your own achievements. Yeah. But but the the really interesting thing about this episode is, you know, what would normally be the main plot of whatever mm-hmm. demon of the week and big you know apocalyptic yeah. hellmouth event Buffy and her friends have to face. Um, mm-hmm. gets, the traditional gets A sort of, stories. Yeah, it gets, yeah. Ter- becomes the B story, gets backgrounded. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even say it's B story. It's more like C no, story. No, it's like C, yeah. Um, to Xander totally. and his, you know, his adventures. And mm-hmm. and it's Xander's also adventures. sort of the POV kind of shifts to Xander. Um, you know, Buffy kind of just pops in and out as a side character. And it, it gives the whole episode this very interesting tone of like, what would normally be the focus. It's like you're really mm-hmm. detached from it and you're just kind of popping in and out to these little vignettes. Yeah. Um, it's. I think yeah. it's just a blast to watch. It was so fun. Yeah. I literally because just watched also, it. also, <laughs> as I say, it's the comedy throughout is top-notch. It is really funny. It uh, has so, yeah, a lot of, a lot of funny things. I think what... Sorry, it's hard to. I don't know exactly where I want to jump in. Obviously, when we well, were talking before, I was like on a roll. I have, but, I have um, an idea. So maybe before we get started, um, mm-hmm. let's clarify what the Zeppo is. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, the first several times I watched this, I didn't know what that was. I, but, you know, what? Um, I kept thinking like Zeppelin. Like <laughs> it does really sound like Zeppelin. But the Zeppo or Zeppo is one of the Marx Brothers. So there's four of them, and he traditionally played like the straight man. And I think he kind of had a. Re- I, I'm not super familiar with the Marx Brothers, but I, you know, he has a reputation basically for being like the boring, uninteresting one or the one who's not talented. Uh, we can, and I think. I'm sure that there's an argument to be made about like how important the straight man is to comedy. You know, having someone there who's not going to, you can't be zany. Everybody can't be zany. Somebody does have to be being serious. Otherwise the jokes don't work. So like, this is a pretty good metaphor for this, you know, like, I'm going to point out that we will find out in the very next episode, just how important a straight man is to comedy. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Um, But yeah, I think, 
Yeah, I mean, that's what the Zeppo is. It, he, I think they also could have equally called this episode, like, Jimmy Olsen, because that's the other reference, like, pop culture reference that they make, and I think that that's another apt one. Um, but yeah, I mean, just basically, you know, this story is like, oh, what if instead of looking at Groucho, we were all, this whole story was about Zeppo. I don't think it would be very funny, but um, then again, who knows? Uh, but yeah, so that's like kind of a clarification of what, what that means. Uh, but Z- Cordelia is the one that name drops it in the episode, which is a little bit, you know, I'm not sure that she would really know that, but then again, everybody in the show constantly references everything. So, well, I do think Sunnydale the- is, must be close to LA and there's just a big culture of Hollywood there. <laughs> I think that they get away with it because they sort of reference the oddity of the reference in that, you know, yeah, she calls that. him the Zeppo and he looks at her confused and she basically yeah. tells him it's pop culture, look it up or something. Yeah. 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 Speaking of Cordelia, um, a lot of like the Xander's like, you know, insecurities about his lack of cool or whatever mm-hmm. definitely arise Start out of her. Cordelia yeah. still cruelly, um, though deservedly uh, mm-hmm. making fun of him, you know, at the beginning of this episode because, you know, mm-hmm. she's been on the inside of this group. She definitely knows the dynamics of it. As we've talked yeah. about before, Cordelia pays more attention than anyone she's gets so credit observant. for. Yeah. Um, so she sort of, you know, cruelly making fun of him and taking him down a peg at the beginning of this. And although I agree with her, there was no part of that that was not fun. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was just like clapping the whole time. Yeah, Um, same. But so she sort of launches his quest for, you know... I, I mean, and I think it's a good point, right, to just how observant she is allows her to make these insults that are really cutting, you know? Yeah. Like, if she weren't paying attention, she would have just said something offhandedly that he could have brushed off. But it's the fact that she's so right in everything that she says that, like, really sets him off. Also, because he actually does meet uh, Jack, the bully guy, at school as well. Like, he's getting picked on pretty much from the beginning of the, of the episode once they're in school. And it's, like, clear that, you know, he's not a cool guy on campus. Even So, like, you know, the only kind of... Re- relief that he has is hanging out with the other Scoobies. So like when even they're ignoring him, I mean, I kind of see where he's like falling into this trap. (laughs) Well, I mean, this goes back to, um, the previous, uh, episode of men's where he shows up over Christmas break because he has nowhere else to be because he has Mm -hmm. no social life outside of the Scooby gang. Um, and we do get this scene here of him trying to get these guys to pass him the football. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a little sad. It is sad. He just doesn't know uh, when to quit. <laughs> yeah, he does try pretty hard, um, which is uh, you know, the opposite of cool. This is obviously the lesson here, right? Trying is not cool. I mean, just look yeah. at Oz, like how you know, exactly. Xander asked that him. That scene is was it, wonderful, too. Oh, it was so great. Where he And Seth Green's delivery when Xander I, asked yeah. him, is it hard to play guitar? And he's like, not the way I play. Not I know, I know. <laughs> that was the moment where I was like, you know what, honestly, because the scene right before that is the one where Xander's talking to Cordelia and like, I, I do think that Nicholas Brennan does an okay job in this episode. And as I said, like it's, it's certainly, it's not really, it's not, um, I'm not forgiving Xander for anything that he's done, but just as an episode, like they're just not focusing on the things that I hate. So like, it's fine. But even, like both Cordelia and Oz really outshine him, even in their like little bit parts where it's just like that scene with Oz, Oz, Seth Green says like 10 words in a, a few minutes. And it's like still the funniest thing in the whole episode almost, you know? Well, I don't disagree that like, Obviously, Seth Green's comedic timing here is Mm -hmm. just, like, his deadpan is just top, like, stellar. But I do want to say that as much as I 
talked about, especially in um, The Wish, like Nicholas Brendan wasn't exactly able to sort of rise to the challenge of evil mm-hmm. Xander. And sometimes he seems to struggle with some of the more dramatic stuff. I do mm-hmm. actually think he's a good comedian. Like, yeah, no, where I he agree can handle the comedy stuff really well. And I think this episode was almost a showcase for him. Mm-hmm. Where That's a good point. I mean, because his dramatic to- arc isn't that deep. So right. he gets to mostly be funny. I mean, yeah. we have to sort of, we have to be on Xander's side throughout this. And the way that he is able to get us there is like, you know, he's he's really a sad sack, kind of like <laughs> really easy is. to sort yeah. of make fun of him. But he's yeah. just so funny. You want him to like, you know, succeed. So mm-hmm. I, I really liked all of that. Um, I bef- don't want to skip over Willow's really hilarious one line in this episode too, though, right in the beginning. I brought marshmallows? Yes. They talk (laughs) about like, oh, what do we do with these demon bodies? And somebody says like, oh, should we burn them? And Willow's like, I brought marshmallows. And then she says something about how she can be really callous. I'm like, yeah, Willow, no joke. (laughs) I thought she was, I thought um, Allison Hannigan was just super funny in that whole scene where, you know, she helps them fight these demons off and she's kind of proud of herself. But at the same time, she's like, oh, don't worry. The shaking is just a side effect of the fear. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, she's very funny. Yeah. Um, the other, you know, the other thing, so in addition to kind of flip, you know, the, I think the, the main thing that this episode does that's really u- unique and interesting is, is flipping the storylines so that we're focusing on this one that would normally be either happening in the background or honestly would be like not happening on screen at all. Um, you, you know, and then there's like clearly just like the biggest demon they've ever faced, the worst apocalypse that they've ever faced so like the stakes are so so high in the background and we're not even paying attention to it so yeah so like clipping the stories is really interesting but they're also repeatedly kind of do that thing where they end a scene and then transition to the next scene with the same line working for both and like even that just really charmed me where I was like it's just it's just funny or maybe it only happened with the same line over and over again like but when Oz and um, Xander are talking Oz is like, oh, come on, Xander, it's not the, you know, and he's clearly going to say end of the world. And then it cuts to Buffy and Giles having a conversation about the actual end of the world. I just thought those transitions were really clever, too. It just makes the whole thing so, like, zippy. Well, I think I think I'm going to say words that start with Z now because I've got Zippo in my head. (laughs) No, but I think you're right. I think it's clever because it also kind of ties into the point that I was going to make where – the the, another effect of putting the apocalyptic plot – way Mm -hmm. in the background Mm -hmm. it's like the little bits that we do see of like you know xander walks in on buffy and angel having this like yes you know really dramatic totally melodramatic thing or whatever and um talking about like if they're willing to sacrifice themselves for each other Mm -hmm. and you know everyone keeps saying like oh it's not the end of the world like but the end of Mm -hmm. the world is kind of happening in the background is like the effect that it has is every time we check in with the characters that are actually dealing with like the end Mm -hmm. of the world is they come across as super melodramatic and like ridiculous and And it's so it just dials the comedy up like it's almost like a farce like it's just like ridiculous how flipping it that way changes the entire tone Totally. And because I, I was thinking about that a lot, especially when it got to that, specifically the scene with Angel and Buffy, I think is like, it's the perfect example. Um, And so when I was watching it, I was really trying to think, you know, if this had been the real storyline in this episode, would they have both acted like I was trying to decide if they were acting it any differently, or if it really was just the structure of the episode. And I feel like they almost... I think they really were playing it normally. The two, you know, the actor Sarah Michelle Gellar and David Boreanaz, I feel like that is exactly how they would have said the lines and acted the scene if it were the main storyline. So it really is the episode structure itself that's like just turning it into something totally different. No, I think you're right. I think um, 
because normally there would be a buildup to that sort of, you know, mm-hmm. that would be like so the climax yeah, of the episode. Yeah, and exactly. there's no context. So you just come yeah, in in the middle like, of it okay, and it's very sudden queens. and like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And yeah, um, totally. I just think it works like gangbusters in terms of comedy. Like they're like turning what would normally be like, like you think about it, they have a very similar conversation in Amends. Exactly. At the, exactly. You know, yeah. at the top of the hill. And it, it, it's like, I was crying because it was so mm-hmm. dramatic, but like this one, I was just laughing because you have no it's context funny. for it. I wonder too, if that part, I mean, that part feels really meta to me about like that they know that, you know, like, like we don't talk about this that much, but especially when I first started watching Buffy, you know, I hadn't seen any Joss Whedon and this style of, of conversation really was pretty unique still in terms of in TV and movies, but like, it is so cheesy and I forget, I, like, I'm totally immune to it now. Like I can't even see it. So like this episode really does like highlight the like normal weekly level of cheesiness that we're dealing with when we watch this show, except that you can't see it. You know, you're like, my blinders are on and now I'm, I'm immune to it. Like I said, but like, so it is funny again to like have them kind of like they, the the writers themselves are kind of like poking fun at it and like drawing it to the forefront in this really clever way. Absolutely. But I'm sure that they were commenting, you know, they themselves are making a comment on how melodramatic the show is by like just pulling out, isolating these scenes and being like, oh God, (laughs) we're watching this every week. (laughs) So it turns everything really funny, but it also has this really interesting effect of sort of dialing down the danger because like they keep telling us that they're fighting maybe the most dangerous thing they've ever (laughs) faced. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's like this horrible apocalyptic thing, except we never really see them I mean we don't really see any of the fighting it all happens off screen for the most part um you know we find out at the end of the episode that Angel was knocked unconscious for several minutes and Mm -hmm. like Buffy's like you know, still kind of shell-shocked about that, but we don't see it happen. Oz is like, I'm oddly full today, but, like, we never really (laughs) see him, like, you know, Mm -hmm. chowing down on these demons or whatever. Um, Oh, it's because he, well, he eats Jack at the end. Wait, is Oz the one that ate Jack? Yeah, he was in the closet. That was what attacked him at the very end. Oh my God, I thought it was one of those demons. Uh -uh, Uh-uh, uh-uh. Okay, that makes more sense. That makes more sense. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, you know, to be fair, that werewolf costume and those demons look very uh, similar. That werewolf costume is not getting any better. (laughs) You know, I had a thought. Who's Mm -hmm. in the wolf costume? Is it Seth Green? I don't know. I don't think so. Probably not. I don't think you normally make your actors do that. <laughs> now I'm in a picture and like it is though. Yeah. But like it just all has this effect of like sort of like dampening the impact of like, you know, mm-hmm. Willow like runs into Xander when she's getting some spell ingredients and she's mm-hmm. like, I love you. Like she's saying goodbye. And yeah, you know, it's just like none of it really like comes across as that dire because and yeah. I was and I had this thought of like I wonder if this is just what it looks like to everyone else from the outside of like this weird group always running around like talking about the end of the world or something. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Um, So Xander's car, I'm positive I've told you this a hundred thousand times, but it's important to me that everybody else that listens knows this, but um, (laughs) my dad likes to restore classic cars and I was what I'm that Xander is driving my car is what I'm saying. I didn't <laughs> I, for a know while, that. Are you serious? I owned, yeah. And that's even, it's almost the right color. There's two really similar colors that they painted those cars or that I would see those cars painted. And his is a slightly different version of what I wanted, but, um, that's definitely my car. I mean, it's a nicer one cause it's a convertible and it's a two door, but, 
Um, you better tell your dad to go ahead and finish that up so we can take no, some No, we pretty, sold it. You sold it? <laughs> I don't it? have it anymore. Yeah. What? Well, Jesse, so how are we going to take Instagram photos next to it? <laughs> well, I probably have some old photos of me next to it. <laughs> and by probably, I definitely do. Except it was never restored. Um, so the sad story is that I never got to actually drive. It just sat in my parents' garage for a decade. And then we sold it to some guy who did restore it. Except he painted it red, which is Ugh, Wrong choice. It was know, a really pretty whatever. color. I know. That's why it was the best. Anyway. I remember seeing the so shell of it. I am like... <laughs> So he, I am always also just like a little bit charmed by Xander in this because it's like he's driving, he is driving a cool car. If I saw someone driving that car, I also would have stopped them. Uh, I would have like, asked for a And then you would tell them the story, crazy, long story about how your dad almost restored you the same car, but then he sold exactly. it. And your sister exactly. still gets to drive her convertible. <laughs> yeah. Hers is not well, convertible. Hers isn't a convertible. No, it's a, I didn't mean to say convertible. Uh, I meant to say, is it a Mustang? Mustang. Yeah. I almost said Corvette. Um, that was also incorrect. No. I know that it's it is funny yellow. though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure this is true everywhere, but definitely in my high school, there were a lot of vintage cars. That was definitely a thing. It was a status symbol. So uh, I, I do feel like that culture is bigger in California, partially just because like you don't have to, your cars don't get all fucked up in the, I mean, your cars don't get all messed up in the <laughs> winter. Um, you know, you don't have to like deal with salt and snow ruining all your expensive paint jobs that you just restored onto your classic car. So I do think that that's a bigger deal, but what I'm saying is that if he drove that car to my school, he would have gotten some cool cred. Um, probably anywhere. But But anyway. what you're saying is like you were almost cool and now you weren't because... <laughs> uh, no, I was cool without the car. I didn't need that affect like Xander. <laughs> it didn't have to be your thing. <laughs> no, I had enough things. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> uh, but I felt cool-ish. Mm. So... Um, one thing that I was really interested to see in this um, episode that I don't know if really ever registered with me before is that, mm -hmm. so this guy, Jack, um, mm -hmm. he, so it turns out that his, I guess his grandfather or mm -hmm. whoever, his grandpappy. That's exactly what I wanted to talk about. Yeah. yeah. Is into mystical things. So mm -hmm. we kind of get this window that like, there are people in Sunnydale who are tapping into like this hellmouth power um, mm -hmm. because- he himself says he was killed three weeks ago in a drive-by. We see the bullet mm -hmm. holes, and he raises all his friends as well. Um, mm -hmm. But but this is really interesting. This is something that yeah. um, also occurred to me was portrayed a few seasons later as extremely difficult. Exactly. Dark magic. Was, yeah. Yeah. Now, I think the spell I, that Willow did was a little bit different because and I, these guys rise basically are, as zombies. Like, they're mm -hmm. they're rotting and whatever physical condition they're in at the time of raising their mm -hmm, that's they what keep, they're in um right. so i do think it was a little bit of a different type of magic we're talking and there about. is also some like dimension jumping in the other one yes i mean that might be true for the for regular dead people as well i guess you know we really don't get into yeah. that but but um, it was interesting to see this i definitely had that thought too where i was like he's making this look so easy mm -hmm. <laughs> um it did occur to me though that he's not quite doing the same magic but also yeah um, but he's doing magic so mm -hmm. like we've seen amy be a witch like this other guy michael um yeah was into it but i mean the school bully does magic like it's mm -hmm. it's weird it's like it is weird yeah but then i was thinking like oh of course like you know demons and vampires are attracted to this town because mm -hmm. of the hellmouth's power why exactly. wouldn't practitioners of magic be 
Well, I mean, like Amy's mom is the yeah. perfect example of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, no, that is a great point. Um, I also thought that the first corpse that he raises looks a little <laughs> bit like the guy from Some Assembly Required. Yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking about that episode here, too. Because there really is a, another version of this episode, too, right, where if Buffy hadn't been dealing with the apocalypse, she would have been dealing with these guys, you know? Like, yeah. it's just because she had to, she had bigger priorities. That's why she wasn't doing it. But it isn't, it, we kind of have seen the episode already where she fights these guys, and it's that one, yeah. I, I, did, I was thinking about that. So some of the other kind of points that I, I think are interesting about this on the one hand, earlier when we were first introducing the episode, you mentioned that, um, like that that one maybe one not meant the point of the episode, but like that Xander is still pretty much a pathetic loser at the end of the episode, the way that he was at the beginning, um, and I think that that's true. But I also like how the episode. I think one of the points is like kind of driving home, like even the smaller victories are still important, you know, either, either they're important to you personally, or they're important to the world at large. I think you could kind of make an argument that if Xander hadn't stopped the bomb from going off, it might've killed, you know, all the good, all the Scoobies in the library. It's kind of unclear how, I don't really know how homemade bombs work and how far that would have spread, nor do I know where the boiler room is in relationship to the library. But I kind of did have that thought too. Like, does Xander actually save the day in this episode by not killing Buffy and Faith while they're fighting the seaman? I think that's of pos- entirely possible. Uh, yeah. You're raising a major at all. Um, question, though, that I had with this entire episode, which mm-hmm. is, if the Hellmouth is opening in the library, how is the basement of the school adjacent to the library still relatively intact? Like, you know what yeah, I mean? I, like, <laughs> I don't know like, where any of these things are supposed to be. Theoretically, where Xander is in the boiler room area is below where the library is, maybe not directly below it. Right. But, but you would think that the well, Hellmouth opening would have a little bit of an effect <laughs> on the school basement. I think it d- dug a really specific wormhole. That's, that's, <laughs> it did I was not thinking like it must all. be like a tunnel or something <laughs> yeah. because like, how's he in the basement when the Hellmouth is opening? Mm-hmm. Like, this is just the question that was. Yeah, that is a little weird. Um, but if we can uh, see past that, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. I think the unspoken subtext here is, you know, Buffy and Giles and Faith and Willow, like, all saved mm-hmm. the apocalypse from happening, but they might have done that and then still blown up because... Or they might not have done that in time because I don't think that bomb would have been strong enough to kill the demon, but it would have maybe been strong enough to, it, if not kill them, maim them enough to stop them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I... I, I I also like I don't I don't want to get into this too much because I know we have a bad habit of like really skipping around the, all the seasons. But this does also really remind me of the other what I think it will still be a Xander moment that rings well to me, even given how much I don't like him. There is a moment in season seven where he makes a big speech about being on the sidelines and what his role is in the group. And I I think that that scene still works. I think I still like him making that point, you know, in the later seasons about like just kind of being the one who sits back and how that feels and also how you just kind of have to give them your support and love. And that's like what he's doing. So I, I I don't know. There was something about him being on the sidelines in this episode that still was just really, I don't know. 
Well, I think this I is had a better time to learn that to them, because yeah, up until yeah, this point, yeah. I mean, this is the whole thing is like they're graduating from high school. They're starting to really figure out like their place in the world and like who mm-hmm. they are. But like Xander's whole thing this entire time has been this fantasy that he's going to swoop in and save the day. And he's right. slowly, slowly starting to learn that that's not his job. Mm-hmm. Like Buffy is mm-hmm. the person who steps in and saves the day. Mm-hmm. And, and he's the he's guy on who gets the sidelines. The and sometimes <laughs> he's a liability. But by four seasons later, he's certainly had enough experience to learn that like he brings value just by being on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Like someone always needs their jelly donut and, you know, and they need him to repair the windows. And like, that's a, yeah. a legitimate thing. Like he's their support staff. <laughs> Absolutely. But like it takes him yeah. a long time to, to yeah. realize that. And right now this is like, you could argue is the beginning of that journey. That's like, a good point. He can yeah. only make that speech in season seven because he's gone through all of this. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I, mean, I, I wonder if this is a turning point in at least that particular uh, annoying behavior of his. I know that the other stuff, the his jealousy issues, I think don't ever go away. And in a way that really annoys me and I think is a detriment to the show. But I do, I wonder if you're right about this. Is this the moment from here on out, is he going to continue to espouse that fantasy or is he going to give that up? I don't, I honestly don't know, but I kind of think he might move on from start. I think you might be right that this maybe is the, the tipping point where he stops leaning into that. Yeah, I think that that's something to look out we'll for to look because for I it, haven't yeah. ever really charted it. But I Same, also wonder yeah. if my memory of my um, opinion of Xander is different than my current opinion of Xander Mm -hmm. because maybe it improves over the next four seasons. And Mm. like right now I'm in seasons one through three Mm -hmm. high school Xander who we can argue is kind of, you know, the worst. But but he has his redeeming moments the further (sighs) we go into the series. So we'll get there. But like I think right now we're not there. I mean, for me, I still have bad memories from five, six, and seven. Well, from five and six. I think in seven, he's okay, but we'll see. Um, Yeah, that is interesting, too. Um, Anyway, yeah, but in general, I think that that's another kind of like a pop culture trope that I do enjoy is like when a story takes the time to really focus on something on something much smaller. And then like through that, like small, small, specific lens still tell like a bigger story. I think this episode is also totally a commentary on like, how you know to everybody you're everybody is their protagonist in their own story <laughs> you know I walk around thinking you know, the world revolves around me I try not to because I know that it's not true but like obviously you know when you tell about your day you're telling about it from your perspective so I think that that part is also kind of a clever comment on like hey if we actually just move the camera over here Xander's still living a life like he's still doing things <laughs> regardless of anything they're important or not like yeah everyone's the hero of their own story Absolutely. But I also think like Xander at the end of this, when you recognize that like no one else is paying attention to like yeah. your particular yeah. story, how liberating is that? That's because true. That's a good point Then the too. minor yeah. stuff that you actually care about, you're like, oh, no one notices any of this. Well, I'm going to stop caring because yeah, totally. it's kind of liberating. That um, is a, is this, this is a nice like time in high school, I think, to have that episode as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, that yeah, realization right. probably comes a lot later than high school. But That's probably true. Um, and <laughs> and that it's not might like not he's be... learned that forever and has can move on with his life a changed yeah. man. But yeah, you start to learn that. Yeah, absolutely. I still struggle with that, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you want to talk about Xander's uh, run-in Z- with Faith? <laughs> yeah. You know, I honestly don't really have that much to say about it. I, I can't decide. It doesn't, like, I don't, it doesn't bother me, but I don't like it. I just, I, I get why they did it, I think, but I couldn't really make much out of it. I feel like it's just a thing that happened. And I was like, I can't draw any connections to anything. This doesn't feel 
particularly important other than that it is going to come up again, but it's not, I don't know. See, to well, me, yeah, I I'm think curious it, what it your underscores a lot of what we've already learned about Faith of, you know, mm, well, she, that's true. she gets, um, like after, I'm trying to think of a word <laughs> I want to use. Trying to be so polite. <laughs> yeah, that is a little more polite. Wound um, up. <laughs> uh, amorous, I guess. Mm-hmm, uh, sure. After she's been slain. Fancy. And she's feeling a little frustrated after not killing this demon. So she's mm-hmm. going after Xander for a physical release here. But, mm-hmm. you know, this this totally tracks with, you know, Faith is treating these guys as like, you know, a tool to like help mm-hmm. her. But like she's not, she's not like having sex with Xander because she likes him or she no. has any sort of need for him other than something physical. And, you know, and I think it also underscores kind of the randomness of this entire night of like, he just mm-hmm. keeps bumping into people and weird stuff is happening. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Willow's coming out of the magic shop in the middle of the night and Giles is trying yeah. to contact a demon dimension and, you know, Faith is fighting a random demon and then just like has him relocate her shoulder and, then decides that they're going to have sex. And, like, you could Mm -hmm. almost argue that Xander has very little say in that. And, like, there are some questions raised around maybe consent. Although, um, as as Xander has previously said, he's a 17-year-old boy. So I think he was definitely consenting. Um, I was watching it, and I do – I feel like he did, but, yeah. Yeah. Sure. It could have been more explicit. (laughs) Right. I think uh, had the gender roles been reversed, we'd be asking a few more questions about that. So I did have that thought when I was watching it. Worth bringing up, but yeah. I think Xander was 100% willing. Um, but I think it's going to be a bigger play later where Xander hasn't quite learned all these lessons from the evening mm-hmm. and it's used as more of a emotional trigger for another character. But right. um, yeah, it's very random and, and bizarre. Um, but also, <laughs> I <is>. mean, <laughs> perfectly on par with Xander's history of, like, being weirdly attracted to, like, people Dangerous women. Yeah, (laughs) dangerous women who, you know, aren't that nice to him, don't really respect him very much, and just want to use him for a purpose. Like, how different, really, in this situation is Faith from Impata or um, Mm -hmm. Miss French? Yeah. So, uh, for those of you who are forgetting, Miss French is the praying mantis. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the other thing that I thought was a little bit, I, this is, I do not think this is the point that the episode is trying to make at all, but as much as they talk about Oz as though, you know, he, Oz is superhuman in that he's a werewolf. And when he's a werewolf, he's super strong, but they can't control him at all when he's a werewolf. So in a lot of ways, he's worse than Xander to have around, you know, in the middle of this apocalypse, Willow and Giles have to tranquilize him because they can't control him and lock him in another room. Like that more than Xander sitting in the corner is like actively detracting their time and attention away from the apocalypse at hand. So I do think it's a little bit weird that like we always make, you know, I understand why it would make Xander feel insecure, you know, so like from that perspective it makes sense in this story but in general they never really talk about Oz like the nuisance that he is you know they really have to deal with him he's takes time out of their slaying all the time but I think the difference in their minds it must be because this is the the excuse for everything is Oz doesn't have any control or memory after this so no 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 no. that's all fine I'm not saying they should be harassing Oz about it I'm just saying that like when they're saying like hey Xander maybe you need to sit with this one out like they should really be saying that to Oz but I think the difference is Oz has no choice but to sit it out because the library has become the place that he goes to 
when he changes because they have mm. a place to contain him and like people to watch him. And so like, where are you going to send, you know, a werewolf during the apocalypse? No, no, yeah, like, I know. They can't I, set him loose. On I still feel like you're not quite getting my point though, which is just that when at large we talk, like when Cordelia is making fun of Xander, right. And she's like, Oh, it must suck. Cause all your friends are superhuman and you're just this regular old guy. But like, Oh, technically well, Oz no, is superhuman, but he's Oz just is, as much a drain on them as Xander is, no. if not more so. But it's because Oz is cool. <laughs> of course, of course, of course it is. <laughs> I just was really struck by like, you know who's causing just as much of a problem for them to have to babysit is Oz. But, but also, they're giving Xander flack about it the whole time, saying like, hey, we can't be watching you because it's too dangerous and we don't want you to die. Like, maybe Oz isn't going to die because he can take care of himself, but he might kill them in the meantime. But you know also, what I mean? I, just think, I think the, the difference, too, is Xander has a tendency to throw himself into the situation and rush but into Oz battle. But Oz does, too, if he gets out. If Oh, while he's a while he's a werewolf, but I think yeah, the yeah, difference yeah. is like he has no control over that. But like human eyes, like isn't the one throwing himself in situations. Like he's not putting but, himself in harm's way. True, but human eyes was missing from that first scene entirely. Yeah, because he wasn't you know, there. He's not. But I guess I, again, I'm just. It's just weird that we kind of like give Oz a pass for being like, oh yeah, he's one of the superhumans, just like the rest of them. But like his superpower is at all not an. It's not an asset in any way. It is only a danger to them. Yeah, I guess Cordelia kind of does bring that up as an example, and it's mm-hmm. a poor example because he is. I just really want like somebody a, to say, yeah. "Hey, Oz, you know what? You're annoying too. Why do we have to Why do we have to babysit you on nights like tonight of all nights to turn into a werewolf? We're dealing with the worst apocalypse of all time, <laughs> and now I have to tranquilize you with like three darts before you fall, and then they have to go lock them up in the basement, and it doesn't work, and it doesn't work <laughs> exactly. Yeah." <laughs> Yeah, they're lucky that that guy was down there. Anyway. Ugh, Oz. Um, I wish they could control it, though. I, want, I guess if they had kept him on the show longer, they probably would have figured out a way to do that. Yeah. So this whole... I was, um, I was watching this episode, and I was like, what does this remind me of? Why does this feel so familiar? Mm-hmm. And I kind of had to laugh because I feel like I was watching Baby's Day Out. <laughs> I've never seen that. So the premise of that is like a baby gets loose in the city and like goes on a bunch of adventures. And this is different from get, Look Who's Talking? Yes. Okay. The baby does not talk. Oh, okay. But I I just feel like Xander's the baby that got loose and like he's just out on an adventure and he's encountering a bunch of different like you know, yeah. things yeah. on his way. Like yeah. he runs into this girl and then he runs into Jack and then Jack wants him to come help all his friends. And then it's just like, mm-hmm. like Xander is not creating any of these situations that he finds mm-hmm. himself in. He's just sort mm-hmm. of stumbling his way through them yeah. um, and foiling the plans as he goes. So I was kind of cracking up because I was like, why is this so familiar? Now it's a much cuter story when there's a baby at the center <laughs> of it. But, uh, yeah. Also, I mean, can we talk again? How amazing is it that I know they're trying to open the Hellmouth and end the world and blah, 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 but it's mm-hmm. a sisterhood of demons. Yeah, I know. I was a little bit charmed by them. And that they're like the most badass demons that they ever fight, basically, right? Yeah. So, not too bad. Um, I do also want to give Xander credit for his pretty clever, um, you know, once he realizes that he has to solve this situation on his own, I think that's also kind of empowering for him. And he does, like, realize that he knows what he's doing, right? Like, when he drags the guy on the side of his car and he for- accidentally uh, beheads him before he gets the answer to how to defuse the bomb. But, like, that scene is hilarious. Because he's I don't know. pulling from the villain um, playbook mm-hmm. and talking too much. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
but also from the Buffy playbook of like, oh, she always gets in these witty lines. I have to do that too. And like yeah. every time, twice in the episode, it bites him. Um, they also, can, between the two of them, between Xander and the Scoobies, do a lot of damage to the school. Like, I don't know how they're going to explain this one. You know, because this isn't the main storyline, they never address it. But like, there's a hole in the middle of the library. And that demon was like punching walls out left and right. Also, what do they do with the bomb in the basement? They just leave it there? I guess they just say earthquake. I don't know. I, I don't like, know either. This isn't the first time they've damaged the school, so... But it but it is the first time I think they've done so much. Well, I guess not. In season one, it's pretty similar damage. Yeah. All right, fair enough. I just was laughing about it anyway. The school's days are numbered anyway. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, actually one just tiny detail in this episode too, that is relevant. I think for the next episode is that, uh, you know, Giles got fired in the last episode and he mentions in this one that like the watchers won't even take his call. Right. Which seems a little bit dangerous on their crazy. part. Because, yeah. This is like, not a good way to handle this Giles, situation. But like Buffy's still the active slayer. If and Giles Faith is calling is them and Faith, yeah. if, yeah, two active slayers, if, Giles is calling them. They better pick up the phone because yeah, no, it's, totally it's not nuts. because he wants his job back. It's because something's going wrong. It's mm-hmm. so stupid. It is. I was like, I was really infuriated when he said that. Yeah. I was like, the yeah, world exactly. is ending. Yeah. <laughs> stupid uh, petty watchers council. Yeah. I do. I do kind of wish I could watch this episode with fresh eyes though, because I, you know, it's not immediately obvious what they're doing. It, it, it becomes obvious pretty quickly, but, like, you know, the way that this episode opens, and then there's kind of just some Xander scenes. Like, it does take them a minute before it gets into this, basically until, like, Buffy says, like, the end of the world, and you realize, like, oh, the stuff is moving really quickly. Like, how do we get to this point already? Well, because um, there are some <clears throat> scenes at the beginning where Xander's not even there. Like, it's Buffy exactly, and Willow like, having a conversation, and um, mm-hmm. which it took me forever to realize why Willow was wearing pajamas. <laughs> Wait, in which scene? Um, the one where they're walking across the campus and um, Xander drives up in the car. But oh. Willow's wearing pajamas because they're babysitting Oz. But oh, I, I, didn't, I it took I didn't me forever to realize why, why. Like I was like, why is Willow wearing pajamas? And then I, That's really I realized. Funny. But but that scene is notable because it's between Buffy and Willow mm-hmm. and Xander's not in it. But the entire rest of the episode is mostly Xander's point of view. Mm-hmm. So... That's like um, the switch hasn't really happened yet. Right. But I guess I just think it, yeah, it's nice. It's not, it's not obvious from the beginning. You do have to kind of like make adjustments as you're watching it. I'm like, oh, this is what they're doing. Um, but I really, I think the other thing that I just really like about this in general is, you know, back in the day when everyone was doing these 22, 24 episode seasons, it's like, how many times can you do the monster of the week? Like if you're not trying different formats in a season that's that long, then like you're wasting, you know, you cannot have an arc that's that long. That's compelling. So like if you're not having fun with it, then you're not doing it right. I mean, I'm guessing by the time you're in your third season, you're itching for some creativity. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I will mention that this is one of Joss Whedon's favorite ones that he did Mm -hmm. not write. So Mm -hmm. um, I didn't, I didn't actually pay attention to who wrote this one either. He didn't. I don't. I don't remember who did. Um, I guess his description is de- deconstruction can be constructive. <laughs> Fair enough. Yep. Uh, oh, Dan Weber, but I don't. I don't recognize that name. 
<sighs> okay. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I have to say about this. I guess having a having a gang made up of undead zombies is a pretty fun idea too. It's a weird <laughs> gang though. <laughs> I did really enjoy them, even though they were ridiculous. Like, just get some new friends, Jack. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was dead too. I guess that's true. <laughs> but he um, seemed like the freshest one. Like his other he friends was, had been yeah. dead for quite a while. He must have been well, he said he said that he was planning he had to wait for some sort of like planet alignment in order to do the the thing oh. to, to raise them so he couldn't do it right away after he was raised hmm. so he just lucked out i guess the planets didn't need to be in alignment for him to get raised or they are in alignment every eight months and he happened to die when they were already in aligned oh, okay I'm, I'm i mean i'm the assuming mythology is pretty thin <laughs> but sure <laughs> do you have any other final thoughts about this one Nope, I think we we exhausted it. Just definitely pro the Zeppo. Yeah, me too. Well done. Well done, guys. Yep. That was fun. Good job. <laughs> Good job, uh, writer. I didn't bother to look up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> writer guy's name is completely unfamiliar to me. Um, okay, well, so on to kind of more serious, traditional episodes. Bad girls. Bad girls. I was like so... <laughs> yeah. I was My head so... Is- there's a movie, Bad Boys, which I don't yeah. know anything about, really. That's Will Smith. Okay. but So I don't know enough about it to know if this was like a riff, kind of the way Die mm. Hard like, was school hard. But. Mm. I don't think so, because I think that one is a comedy. <laughs> I mean, this one gets real dark, so maybe, but I don't think so. Okay. Uh, you know, worth looking up, but I, I couldn't say. Unless it's like supposed to be like, Bad boys, bad boys, what you I gonna think, do? Yeah, what I think it's more like that. <laughs> they come for you, bad boys. You want to get through more of that? Yes, <laughs> I remember isn't that. that the only, <laughs> isn't that the only lyric? I don't know. I think it actually was a whole theme song. I, don't, I can't say that with certainty, but um, no, I really need to look it up. <clears throat> I think there's lyrics more than that. I don't know. I'm I'm now suddenly finding myself wondering what channel was I watching where <laughs> I was well, watching I was a lot of cops. Cops, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, there's totally more words. Okay, that's a that is a problem for later when we're done recording. <laughs> I can't go down this rabbit hole over in the middle of a show. Um. <clears throat> anyway, so bad girls. Um. I mean, this is definitely like an important episode in the season arc, right? This is like right in. This episode is all about the main story arc for season three. Um, But yeah, so basically, um, you know, this episode opens with Faith and Buffy slaying. Um, They're in the graveyard and they're slaying some regular vampires. But then there's also this vampire that shows up with like some pretty um, unique looking swords. Um, So we find out through Giles and through the mayor um, that these vampires are actually part of like, kind of like a little vampire cult that worships, um, this other demon Balthazar. So the mayor, of course, as he is prone to do, he knows that this is going on and he basically tells Mr. Trick and his little assistant, Alan, like, Hey, let's let the, let's like feed the slayers information about these guys so that they go kill Balthazar and these demons. Cause he also doesn't want them around. He also reveals that like he, needs everybody out of his way because he needs to do a dedication ceremony before his ascension. And it is a pretty good, like, 
he just kind of says that. And like, you know, Buffy, but none of the Scoobies find anything out about the mayor in this episode at all. So it, there is a lot of like, he's actually just laying out to the viewers, like what his plans are, even though we don't know what any of that stuff. Well, means also yet. I want to interject and point out that mm-hmm. using the words dedication ceremony from the sure. mayor sounds like yeah. he's just going to dedicate a building. Doing it. Mm-hmm. That's true. Good point. Um, but yeah, so also, meanwhile, a new a new watcher shows up to annoy everyone. It's this guy, Wesley Wyndham Price, and he immediately gets off on the wrong foot with absolutely everybody. Buffy won't listen to him, Faith even less so, and Giles is, like, actively not helping and trying to kind of get in his way. You know, they have a lot of sort of, not tense conversations, but he's like, Giles, you're not doing anything to help, and he's like, yep, I'm not. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he... He's he's the one that also helps figure out, you know, what these demon worship or demon worshiping vampires are all about, except that he says like, oh, that demon Balthazar, he's been dead for a century or something. So, you know, there's not that many of these guys and he just had this powerful amulet. You guys just need to find it. Blah, blah, blah. Um, So, I mean, that's kind of the main the main monster of the week is Balthazar and his little minions. But the other important thing that happens is that throughout this episode, Faith is being her reckless self. She frequently jumps into battles without letting Buffy strategize first or without strategizing herself. Um, and she just kind of, her and Buffy fall into this pattern where like, she's kind of like, you know, Buffy starts following suit and being reckless herself. They start breaking laws. They start breaking into like sports supply stores and stealing weapons. They get almost get arrested. Um, before Buffy sort of realizes that like, this isn't her and she needs to dial it back. But as they're hunting the vampires towards the end, uh, Faith mistakes one of the vamp mistakes Alan, the mayor's assistant for one of the vampires, and she stakes him in the heart. And unfortunately, he's just a regular human, so he dies, and it's very upsetting to everybody. Um, I mean, of course, by the end of it, they've all they defeat Balthazar, they kill him, and his minions flee, or they kill the rest of them as well. And at the end of it, when Buffy goes to Faith to tell her, like, hey, well, now we need to deal with this Alan situation, Faith admits that she, she like, drowned him in the, um, you know, some local body of water. She, like, weighted him and sunk him to the bottom of a lake. Um, and she admits also to, like, not caring about it. Or at least she claims to not care. I'm sure that she doesn't really mean that. But so that this episode ends on a pretty dark note, which is that Faith has accidentally murdered a human and she's not willing to face the consequences at all or deal with it in any way. Oof. Okay. Can I right off the bat say that you just reminded me of something that I never thought about before? Mm-mm. Because I you're mean, talking yeah, yes. about bodies of water in Sunnydale. Mm-hmm. But I always assumed Sunnydale was pretty inland. Oh, but, yeah, I never thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. In surprise, when the oh, yeah, Buffy gets like, the judge piece delivered town. to her and... <laughs> Um, Angel has to take it on a ship somewhere. Like, where are they? What body of water did they jump into I at guess the docks? The ocean. That had, like, is Sunnydale Well, the coastal? docks are the ocean. I mean, they could have driven half an hour. They could be 30 minutes inland. That's not that weird. I just, this never occurred to me before. I, I also, I'm sure that Faith said what she dumped him in, but I wasn't paying attention enough to write it down. Uh, but you're but raising questions from a lakes. season ago. So mm-hmm. <laughs> now I have so many questions. There could be lakes in Sunnydale or nearby. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think in my memory, because the thing that stands out about this episode, obviously, is that like, well, there's like, you know, Buffy and Buffy and um, 
Faith, like, have a wild dance scene that makes its way into the credits. So, like, that's always kind of burdened to my head. But, you know, the big takeaway is the is faith, the Faith incident, that she, she murders a guy, and that continues to be a plot point for the rest of the season. Um, I kind of never really pieced together the mayor's involvement with Balthazar. Even that, he, not only that he's, he's sicking the Slayers on him, and he's, tell, you know, the reason that Alan ends up kind of getting killed in the crossfire is that he's been sent there by the mayor to, like, to somehow feed the Slayers information or to, to help them. You know, he wants them to know who those vampires are so that they can get rid of them. Um, and I think I kind of, that stuff kind of always escaped me. And especially there, the comments that Balthazar himself makes about, you know, he's been trapped and bested by a guy a hundred years ago. That guy is totally the mayor. I don't know how I never put that together. <gasps> yeah. Oh my God. I'm so glad. Okay. Now, see, now I have to admit again that this is Alex's note. I thought you were just going to know what I was talking about. I wasn't have to give him credit again for, like, a thing that I never no, noticed. No, like, honestly, for the past minute, I've been like, yeah, yeah. But then I was like, wait, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, okay, so Balthazar. Because I was wondering, I was still wondering why, Al, like, Alan was even there. Like, this has yeah. always been something that I never really understood, like, why he was just, like, okay. walking there. That part I figured out myself watching it. But at one point, Alex, like, paused it when we were watching it. And he was like, wait a minute. The guy that Balthazar is talking about is the mayor. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's totally not. And then we reround the scene. And it 100% is. Because he says that, like, oh, this, my enemy. He keeps talking about his enemy. And his enemy is the mayor. Especially because when he dies, yes. he warns them about, like, oh, you guys are really going to, now you're going to be sorry. Because what's coming is so much worse than me. But he refers to him again as his enemy. So it's like clearly oh God, he's that talking about the same person. So much yeah. more sense because I was like, how does he know about the mayor? Exactly. Then, because then even really at this point, if you've never seen the show before, you also kind of don't know for sure that he's talking about the mayor. Of course, because you don't know that the mayor has been alive for that long. Yes. And, oh, this makes so much more sense. Okay. And yeah. this is crazy. I watched not only the episode, but then I watched the episode with commentary. And oh. they never mention this. And they don't mention it. It is a little bit thin. I do think that they, they must have been short for time because, like, it. they could have drawn these lines a well, little bit clearer, I, I think. I also, Not, mm-hmm. this was disturbing to me, want to point out that the the writer of the episode was the one doing the commentary. And oh. he definitely was more focused on the lesbian subtext between Buffy and Faith and oh, the fact okay. that you just want to watch them dancing all day. Oh, it was gross. very gross. So Ugh. he didn't exactly bring up anything pertinent. He wasn't to the like plot. making critical insight. Just he wrote the freaking episode, and like yeah. that was where he landed. So, I mean, I did read that they were supposed to like. Well, maybe not in this episode. But at some point, there's some episode where they were supposed to kiss, and then it got written out. I, which is like all fine. It just yeah, that's a gross thing she, to focus on. Faith for those definitely reasons. kisses Buffy later, mm-hmm. but it's like not lesbian it's like Mm -hmm. faith just i don't know dominating buffy or something but like yeah that he was definitely more concerned with like eliza dushku really bringing it with the lesbian subtext yeah and did not at all mention the fact that they threw in this clever little thing about Mm -hmm. the mayor and balthazar which thank you Mm -hmm. alex for i know bringing that to light because now i have to go back and watch the episode (laughs) like right after this i've never noticed that before and even when i was clicking around on the wiki and i was reading more about balthazar like every it's in agreement at least in the broader internet world that that's true and that he and the mayor fought before he was trapped there and that that's why he's looking for his amulet now is because he heard about the mayor's ascension oh. and he wants to thwart him. Not because he wants to save the world. He just wants to be in charge. But, um, but yeah. Okay. Well then this was revealing and interesting to you. So I'm glad. 
<sighs> um, well, I learned something. Mm-hmm. Our podcast has been very educational lately. <laughs> um, I love the mayor in this episode. This is like the beginning of like when I really probably fell in love with him. You know, it opens on him talking about the family circus. Like that the scene between him and Mr. Trick talking about just all the like funnies in the newspapers is just great. They're both great. So does Alan deserve to die because he's a Kathy fan? Yes. <laughs> yes, I can I'm okay with that. <laughs> For the record, Mr. Trick is a Marmaduke fan. Yeah. <laughs> that's acceptable those are both well i mean the family circus is also not acceptable when you're like a really super evil no but it totally plays into this whole like totally fine the mayor obviously probably thinks norman rockwell is like the greatest artist Mm -hmm. who ever lived so like it totally ties into like that whole thing he likes Um, traditional family values and like vintage things yeah Yeah. you know he keeps handy wipes in his evil closet i know i know it's so charming you know (laughs) Um, apparently that whole thing about the mayor being a germaphobe is, um, kind of, they were, they were like ribbing, um, David Greenwald, the producer who apparently oh, really? is really germaphobic. And Interesting. so they were kind of throwing that personality quirk in there to make fun of him. Hmm. That's funny. Yeah. But that is all, it does also kind of fall into like the broader spectrum of villains and kind yeah. of just the way that, yeah. Um, that's funny. Um, do you want to talk about Wesley? I, I so How want to talk about Wesley. How excited are you about Wesley? I, okay, <laughs> Wesley to me, and this is a little bit spoiler heavy, but I'm not going to get specific, but Wesley to me is one of those characters, a lot like Cordelia and even Willow, where their arc over the years of this universe mm-hmm. between Buffy and Angel, the two shows, Wesley is one of the characters that has the furthest arc. And so mm-hmm. where we're meeting him now and where he ends up in the last mm-hmm. episode of Angel is like, mm-hmm. you know, there's quite a journey. But this version of Wesley where he comes in and so in the commentary that I watched, he said he was supposed to be um, someone who thinks he's Sean Connery, but is mm-hmm. actually George Lazenby. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, And I guess originally they wanted him to be American, but I don't know what the rationale was for making him British. And I actually thought Alexis Denisoff was British for a oh, very long too. time. He's not. <laughs> because his British accent is very good. Yeah. Um, but he is just, I mean, so they talk a lot about the actor in this who he's so willing to just let himself be the butt of the joke and the straight man. And like, mm-hmm. it makes it so funny because totally. he's just like this bumbling, fussy, like, yeah. you know, baby Giles, <clears throat> but like without Giles's kind of street smarts, you know? Mm-hmm. So He never had this brush um, with uh, rebellion. Yeah, but he's, you know, he's bragging about how he faced two whole vampires in controlled, in controlled. circumstances. <laughs> yeah. And it's just so you know, so ridiculous. And he definitely gets thrown into the deep end right away of like what it really means to be on the ground, um, Mm -hmm. slaying because, you know, he's, he's sort of the reason Buffy and Faith get in a little bit of a tight spot because, you know, he told everyone this demon was dead and, Mm -hmm. um, he's kind of sending them out without a plan or, you know, any real regard for their safety, but also that they're not going to listen to him anyway. So, well, absolutely. But like, you know, he also isn't really giving them good information, but he's he's sort of like definitely probably was like top, you know, head boy in watcher training or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, totally. He's um, very Percy. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's got his little suits and his, you know, his handkerchief and his glasses and he, you know, he's just kind of dweeby and um, 
like right away Buffy's not going to listen because she's mad that Giles got fired and mm-hmm. Faith I don't even blame her her last watcher turned out to be murderous so yeah. you know new watcher she's just going to U-turn right out the door yeah um, well, not just but murderous I, but also so deep seated like self-doubt in Faith you know right Ugh. right I mean yeah there's a lot of reasons why Faith should yeah. just head out the door but um mm-hmm. you know I just think he's he is pitch perfect as, he really is. As as this. I mean, like, Wesley and, is one of my favorite characters. <laughs> I do really like him. Um, why did they send just one watcher? Well, that's a good question. Because this is another Alex question that, like, it never even occurred to me. I'm like, I don't know. Giles is still there. There's sort of two of them. <laughs> maybe that's what they're assuming. Like, maybe they're assuming on some level Giles isn't going to walk away from but Buffy. But they, so they won't even take his call during an apocalypse. So, like, they can't want him there. No, but on and the day-to-day, I think they're assuming he's still going to be there to guide her. So maybe they think they can get away with not paying an extra watcher. Maybe, I don't yeah. Know. They're that stingy, maybe. Yeah. It is weird, though, that they wouldn't. I'm, I'm, I'm actually surprised that they don't go a little bit further with Giles in, in terms of trying to get him fired from the school or trying to, like, really force a wedge between him and Buffy. Because they really don't do anything. All they do is send Wesley there, and Wesley can't handle anything. So, like, yeah, he also can't handle Giles. <laughs> I mean, it that's a, a little question. bit weird. I don't know. I mean, obviously it's because they need Giles in the show still, but I guess the Watchers really are that, like, lazy and cheap. The Watchers Council, I mean, so... But it is a little bit weird. Yeah. I guess also, the not only can the Watchers not afford to pay, or they're too cheap to pay for another Watcher, but I guess the show probably couldn't handle another salaried actor. That's probably the real answer. <laughs> That's the real answer. Yeah. for a recurring guest star. There we go. There we go. I figured it out. <laughs> um, Everything can always be explained by how much money did they have in their budget. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They already got faith this season. They just hit the limit. Yeah. And the mayor and Trick. There's a lot of regulars this season. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I, I don't know. What do you think about the about the faith ethos maybe in this episode? Because I, I feel like they, you know, she says, kind of like Cordelia, a lot of the things that she says are not wrong. She's just so misguided, you know? I think that, like, we definitely, this is sort of, I mean, speaking of, the last watcher, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Post, this is definitely building off a little bit of what she said to Faith, mm-hmm. how she's, you know, special because she's a slayer and she's mm-hmm. strong. And, you know, Faith probably isn't really getting the same level of guidance from Giles that she that Buffy sure. was. But also, Faith probably wouldn't really be willing to listen to it too much. And I think Faith is definitely someone who, considering the background we're supposed to know that she, can, mm-hmm. she comes from, I think, like, having these powers gives her something yeah. that only one other person has. And I think she's totally buying into it makes her special. special and that's are. not something to be guarded or used yeah. wisely, but something to be completely celebrated. And she's taking it as license to do whatever she wants because realistically, who can stop her? I mean, right. you know, the cops come in and arrest them, but, you know. They just escape. They just escape. Yeah. And they have to injure the cops to do it, but Faith yeah. obviously is willing to do that. And we see later in the episode, she doesn't even really flinch at killing anyone. I mean, mm-hmm. more than momentarily. Um, she's totally uh, buying I mean, into I, this I, whole I thing of like, more, I mean, but, this is um, that fine line, right? Between like superheroes and villains where it's like, yeah. you know, a lot of times the circumstances and the origin stories are the same. It's just like, what path right. do you choose to go with it? And Faith has, for whatever reason... And, you know, we've talked before about how a lot of this starts in um, the episode with Mrs. Post. But, right. you know, she's choosing to fork 
to another path that's not exactly as heroic. But what I think is interesting is that kind faith kind of plays the role to Buffy for a while, not just in this episode. I mean, in uh, you know, it gets muddled in this episode, but a li- she's a little bit to Buffy what Buffy is to Kendra in that first season where she kind of like says like Buffy sort of teaches Kendra a little bit about how like being Slayer is more, you know, this is why it's so important and this is how it's part of your identity. And then in this season is kind of Faith who says that a lot. You know, she she's the one who's kind of like, Buffy, why are you so, you, you know, Buffy's not embarrassed about being the Slayer, but she does pretty much take no joy in it. And, or at least often takes no joy in it. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with the whole angel situation, but it is just kind of interesting. Like there are times when Faith says stuff about like, you know, don't you get a thrill out of this or don't you whatever. And it's like, you first of all, she's, she's right. She does know that Buffy a little bit gets excited by some of this stuff, you know, but also that like, she does sort of embrace it as her identity. You know, obviously it becomes unhealthy, but I just feel like she makes some points that aren't wrong. Well, I, I guess that's my, my only, my only statement. I'm I think to make. that's true up to a point, except I think the uh, yeah, of course it gets out of hand. like Buffy is trying to convince Kendra that she can be something more than just a slayer. Like it doesn't mm. have to be her entire life. Mm-hmm. Whereas Faith is trying to get Buffy to appreciate more being a slayer, but she's crossing the line from appreciation and respect for these mm-hmm. powers to abuse of abuse, them. yeah. And sort of crossing to the dark side of, yeah. you know, instead of saying, yes, I have these powers, it's pretty cool, but like recognizing the danger in them, mm-hmm. she's just going all out with them and saying, I can do whatever I want. Like, yeah, you know, you're not wrong. I mean, like it is a similar, similar dynamic of, you know, how Buffy was sort of tutoring Kendra and the ways of being normal. And mm-hmm. um, Faith is trying to get Buffy to kind of lighten up Loosen a little up. bit. Yeah. She could argue that she probably needs to do. Well, exactly. And then like, um, they but do not have to a that successful degree. fight. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Really, it's all a matter of, yeah, that's really the thing is that Faith has no restraint. So when it does go too far, she can't pull herself back. But I just think that some of the principles that she's, kind of trying to teach Buffy are like things that Buffy does kind of need to learn. Like Buffy does need to plan and she should be strategic about her attacks, but like she has a lot of experience and like, it's not crazy for her to just dive head in to a fight. You know what I mean? Like she ends up in that situation so many times that it's like, it's a little bit like Malcolm Gladwell, right? Where she's like, she does know how to do these things. So she, maybe she could spend a little bit less time, like a agonizing over a detailed plan because like she's got good instincts. She's honed them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that's true. And um, although we see the evidence sort of stack up against that of course, argument. Yeah. Where I don't know. I'm not, Faith, I don't know why. I'm Faith not on repeatedly Faith's side keeps all. getting them into hot water. I mean, Buffy sure. almost gets drowned again. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, so Faith seems willing to take it so far to when she takes it too far. And, and mm-hmm. you can argue, I mean, like that, her killing Alan was not her fault. I mean, it's definitely an accident. It's an accident. She didn't intentionally kill him, even though she knew he was human, but she was very in the moment and, you know, didn't stop and recognize that he wasn't a vampire. But her reaction to it is we see her kind of have a moment of maybe regret or, um, uncertainty. Like she goes back to the body and, um, Mm -hmm. we kind of see her reckoning, but then immediately after that, and you know, when Buffy comes to talk to her, she's deciding that it, it doesn't matter. It can't matter. And obviously with Faith, that's probably more of yeah. a defense mechanism. It of like, 100% is. And if she doesn't have yeah. to deal with it, then she doesn't have to like mm-hmm. deal with the emotions that come from having killed someone. And and we see her her response after this is just, well, I'm just going to continue Killing. going down this road <laughs> yeah. of not caring because it's yeah. easier. But, of course. Um, in the it, moment, it's a little bit shocking. 
Yeah, and you know, as much shit as I like to give Eliza Dushku for not really being that great of an actress, I do actually think she sold those reactions pretty well because I I do think it's it's super obvious that Faith it's not that Faith doesn't care that she killed a person; it's that she says she doesn't care. You know, she she really does care. <laughs> I I think her actual reaction the moment she realizes that she just killed a human is like one of pretty pretty good horror, and like she can't believe it. And yeah, when you're talking about like when she goes back to that body, she's really upset by what she's done. It's just that she you know, for lots of reasons, but partially because this is just who she is, but partially because she doesn't have, she really hasn't had a watcher for a while and nobody has really, I don't know. I I don't know. She just decides that, yeah, saying that she doesn't care is the easier path to take. She does make a very bad choice, obviously, but that's just, I, I do feel bad for her. <laughs> that's a rough situation to be in. Um, well, you know, and I would argue that I would agree with you for the most part that Eliza Dushku is not going to win an Oscar, but, mm-hmm. um, I actually think she's really good as Faith. Like, I think yeah, that's no, the one right. role she's played where good, she's yeah. really, like, you know, she's got this character. I mean, like, when she comes to the school and she's drawing on the window and, like, mm-hmm. she's just loose and fun. And, yeah, you know, she's, you're right. You know, she's really good. It's just when she's trying to play the drama of it that she falters mm-hmm. a little bit. She's kind of like Xander. Yeah. Um, uh, although, how much does that breakout scene, that school ditching scene drives me nuts every single time I watch this episode. Where is the is freaking it? teacher? Why exactly. is the teacher Why leaving them alone noticed? while they're taking a test Nothing on the honor sense. system? What you is this what? nonsense? Like, yeah, and that, like, also Buffy, like, we know that Buffy is irresponsible as a student, but, like, you don't just leave in the middle of a test. It's just crazy. <laughs> Out the window, nobody noticed. If there was no teacher there, why didn't she go out the door? I guess somebody would have been watching the front doors. But still, it's just weird. I don't like that scene. (laughs) Um, Also, just as I mentioned this before, but I watched these episodes out of order. And when Buffy starts saying Faith and then like Xander's eye twitches and I was like, what? Oh, oh, (laughs) I've done some, I've done a, I've made a terrible mistake. And at the very beginning when Faith is asking Buffy if she's ever slept with Xander, like... I guess yeah. she's just asking out of curiosity, but because that one you know, was a little bit weird, but I was like, sure, that makes sense. <laughs> well, because I think for her, it was really a case of like, he was there. So she took yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. But like, you know, and she's, she's assuming that Buffy would have somehow done the same at some point because she's mm-hmm. never met Buffy apparently. Um, yeah. Also, so speaking of romance in this, I, I guess, but mm-hmm. I'm guessing now Buffy and Angel are just fully back together. Oh, I know. I meant to make that point when we were talking about the Zeppo. I think that it is, yeah, I think the Zeppo is the one where, if I had to, I would say that's where they got back together. And it just happens off screen? Yeah, it happens during their melodramatic speech. And everyone's okay with it because, like, all these issues well, of, like, Buffy gone... dating a known murderer mm. is no longer a problem. I think now that they've gone through another apocalypse where Angel helps save the day, they've, like, thawed out. It is funny, though. I wonder if there's, like, cut scenes from that or something. I don't know. I just feel like it never really gets explained, and now it just it looks like they're doing a they're... terrible job of not being together. Yeah. Like, like Buffy no, swore I think they up and down to Giles to, even only a few episodes ago that there was nothing romantic. She was definitely over that. She understood they couldn't be together, and now they're just together because why not? Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. I That's think like it the makes one sense. thing about this season that always kind of like sticks with me where I'm like, they never really explain how they jump from like, we know we can't be together to like, whoops, we're suddenly together. I mean, it is the impetus for why Angel leaves. So I think that, it, in, you know, to some extent they have to get back together um, or at least a little bit. But, but it I happens also... so under the radar and it's so weird because like, 
prior to this, the romance to... has been so central. Yeah, that, like that's to true. sort of just have it happen off screen is a little bizarre. I'm gonna ascribe that to one of the jokes of the episode. <laughs> I think if you look at it that way, it makes sense. But obviously, I I think in the greater scheme of things, it doesn't make sense. No, that like they re- they got back together because they faced another apocalypse and they realized that they couldn't live without each other. And then because Angel proved himself, everybody decided that they could live with it. I mean, I think that has to be it. Is like he keeps saving their lives, so mm-hmm. they forgive him. But mm-hmm. otherwise, like yeah. Giles is fine with this guy who tortured him dating Buffy. Okay. Yeah, it is true. But also, they should have been fine with it from the beginning. Well, no, I'm not going to make that argument. So, yeah. anyway. Um, so, do you ever get Balthazar momentarily in your brain confused with Kissing Toast? No. I do, because they're both really I just because I love that Kissing Edens. Toast joke so much. Um, I don't love this character design for Balthazar, though. I feel like it's just a mockery. I, I like his attitude. I like the way he's portrayed, you know, his his acting. I think this guy is pretty good, but it's not my favorite demon. It's, so hard they not had, to just, it's hard not to just feel like he's the butt of a joke. They had never had a big, fat demon before. Right. That's what he said in the special features. Uh, I don't like that. That just feels mean. It does. I just feel, it's very like when, like a lot, you find, you get older and you find out every villain has like stereotypical features of some group that's been marginalized somehow or another. So I just feel like that fits really well into that trope. And no. I don't love it. Yeah. Are you sure? Uh, no, no, no. I, I'm saying the general trope of the way that no, we no. design villains. I is know. To look... I'm, I'm. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh my God. I was like, I don't know true. what you think I'm saying. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. 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 Anyway, it's a shame, though, because, like I said, I actually think that the, the, the way that he's, like, shouting for his amulet, I think that that's, like, both comical and, like, interesting. And, uh, like we said, like, now that we realize he has this, like, tie-in with the mayor, he's really interesting. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a shame, because I, I do like his role in the episode, and I like the way that he talks. But, yeah, I cringe watching it now. Although they don't really make it better by having them, like, bathe him that I way know. the whole time. Yeah, it's just, yeah. like... They just double down on it, really. They're, like, lubricating him. It's just, ugh. Mm. Um, I like that he still has a little bit of his powers. Oh, that he can, like, draw people to him? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, uh, this must have been in the final scene, although my notes aren't very specific about it, but, um, I feel like there, at some point there's some, like, when there's fighting going on, there's a lot of, yeah, it is in that final scene, but like, I, I appreciated the way that they went to lengths to show that Buffy and Giles are in sync when they're fighting and that Wesley is completely left out. <laughs> like, I think it was just like a nice, like, oh, that's like a nice nod that like Buffy and Giles really easily, like she frees him from his, like, you know, he's got like, he's um, handcuffed or something tied his hands are tied together with rope or something. And she like, cuts him free and like somehow easily gives him a weapon and then he's able to join the fray. Whereas like Wesley is just like struggling, (laughs) not just because Wesley's struggling, you know, not just to show that Wesley is hapless and that he has no experience fighting, but that like Giles and Buffy have really, really bonded and that they know how to work with one another now. So. Yeah. And what reason do they have to trust that if they were to help Wesley, like help the situation at all? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was clever too, to like go out of their way to show Buffy and Giles fighting side by side, or not even just side by side, but like in clever, synced up ways. 
I speaking of that scene, I do really like when Angel arrives mm, and mm-hmm. he's like, his name is Angel, and I'm mm-hmm. like, cue opening credits of Angel. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I did like that too. You're right. Um, Which now that I'm thinking of that, do they use that scene in the opening credits of Angel? I don't I'm gonna think have so. to look out for it now. Okay, maybe, but I don't think so. Yeah. I'm just saying that, though, with no thought whatsoever. I feel like we're going to be surprised. (laughs) Um, Also, just the last great, great running gag from this episode is that at the end of it, the mayor is, like, going through his checklist of things to do today. Yes, his to-do list. It just is hilarious. It gets me every time. Yes. He just... Like, yeah. become invincible. Check. Yeah. And it's side by side with, like, PTA meeting, meet with the Eagle Scouts, and, like, pick up dry cleaning or something really mundane. And it's just like, Mayor, you are just a gem. Well, that's another great scene where he's meeting with the Boy Scouts. Yeah. And, like, he's totally gung-ho for the Boy Scouts. Like, he truly believes in, like, these, like, civic, like, mm-hmm. institutions, but yet he's still completely evil and wants to, you know, live forever and, you know, ascend. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just so, the juxtaposition is part of the comedy, I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, plus the actor, I mean, who plays the mayor, he's great. <laughs> he is great. I don't know if we've really talked about him enough yet, but yeah. I'm sure we will he, more as he becomes well, he, more yeah, a part of the season. But, like, he can play, like, this, you know, 1950s, both sides of that really well. you know, yeah. mayor kind of Pleasantville mm-hmm. kind of mode but then also immediately turn evil. Mm-hmm. He is really good. Which maybe that's easy because you have to wonder if there's a certain element of <laughs> right. evil already in the first <laughs> yeah. one. Um, that's fair. Yeah, but I, I love it. So. Um, oh, and I left this out of my summary, but another important thing that happens at the end of this is that he does complete his dedication, which turns out is a process that makes him invincible to death forever. <laughs> eh, maybe not. Actually, not forever, but. Causes as, a minor earthquake. As he's human, he is now completely invincible yes also alan's death was really gruesome it i really felt really was. bad poor alan well, how did he get himself wrapped up in all this stuff it's, it's really interesting because remember back in the pilot when we were talking about the reason they had the vampires explode was because right. they didn't really want to have the visual of buffy right. always Just killing people yeah. in the heart and having like that visual of like yeah. someone getting stabbed in the heart and That's it's so point. interesting how three years later two years later we see them actually do that and mm-hmm. prove out why they don't do that every week yeah, because yeah. it's really hard to watch you're totally right Ugh. like you're kind of and also but your brain is kind of trained where you're like waiting for him to explode but then yeah. there's just that sickening like yeah sound and Ugh. then blood and nothing mm-hmm. happens and that kind of really helps i think juxtapose like you're totally right the the that normal does, this mm-hmm. is how we kill vampires versus oh good god what just happened yeah and that is a great point, too, though. That is such a good tip-off to the viewers that, like, you, you, I, you, I also didn't realize that I was waiting for him to explode the way that you just, like, Pavlov learned that that's what happens. Yeah. Um, but, like, they've, they've, so, they've trained us so well mm-hmm. to, to realize when someone gets stabbed in the heart, it's no big deal because, one, they're evil, and, two, mm-hmm. they're just going to explode into a cloud of dust. And even really, probably for mostly, like, effects reasons, but, well, also just for violence reasons, like, normally when they're killing other demons, things that don't explode, it, it doesn't happen directly on screen. Like, that's also rare. If, it it's maybe pretty never bloodless, happens. usually, yeah. Or, you know, it's like what we normally see is Buffy p- pulling a sword out of it and it's covered in blood, but you don't see yeah. her, 
like it's not so or it's something that looks so completely inhuman well yeah that or the blood is like way, but like glowing blue or green or something like where you know it's a demon but this time mm-hmm. it's like red human but blood. i guess I, I mean more so like even in the zeppo right when they're fighting those sisterhood demons that like they um there's like a scene of them pulling a sword out of one but there's no scene of them directly stabbing them you know because yeah. those because they have like a human shape Versus, it's, like, the demon that comes out of the hellmouth, like, sure, we can watch him, her cut that into pieces all day because it looks like a giant worm and, like, who cares? I have no emotional attachment to that. Anyway, but I, all of this to say, you're totally right. And I didn't even realize until you just said it that, like, oh, I was also waiting for him to explode and it didn't happen and it was really upsetting. <laughs> and I think they were, too. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's why there's it's that the shock where, totally. you know, Buffy realizes before it happens that he's not a vampire. I don't know if she recognizes him somehow or if um, she just realizes he's human, but Faith doesn't. Yeah. And so I, yeah. she's more shocked than anything when it yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah. I think what Buffy sees is just that he's not wearing that garb. He might still be a vampire, but he's not one of those vampires. Oh, maybe. I think that's her tip off. Because the rest yeah. of those, but the Balthazar's disciples, they're called like the something that's not the Illuminati, but the Illuminati. It sounds a lot like Illuminati. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those guys. Um, El yeah. Illuminati or something like yeah. that? Or, yeah. Uh, shoot. I forget what else I was going to say. It was something about Alan. Oh, I guess I just want, you know, is Alan, the way that he's portrayed is like, he really is innocent. Do you think that he is just like someone who is trying to uh, fulfill their civic duty and just got wrapped up in this? Or is he like really corrupt? Um, I think there's I no think evidence one he... way or another, but... My impression of Alan is he started that way and then obviously became more aware of like what mm-hmm. the mayor was actually up to and what it meant to be the mayor in Sunnydale. But I have to assume that the mayor has now threatened his life. Right. As to said, leave he's his scared. Position, so yeah. he's just kind of stuck there. Yeah. Poor yeah. Alan. He doesn't yeah. seem evil. He doesn't seem particularly ambitious, you know? No, I think he just, he's just wanted little... to join the local government yeah. and got stuck with a <laughs> poor, bad... Poor guy. <laughs> Yeah, bad situation. Yeah. Well, because well. he definitely, like, he knows about all of this. Like, he's the one who's bringing the news that Spike is back in town sure. and, like, all of this. So he's definitely not innocent. He's just a bystander, mm-hmm. I, I don't think he intended to get wrapped up in it. But right. obviously they don't spend enough time on him to know for sure. But Right. Hmm. Um, but he his his death will become... Un, well, I don't know, important, but it'll come up eh, again. Yeah. So. Um, do you have anything else to say about uh, bad girls, bad girls? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Do you have any pop culture for this week? I do. Ooh. Um, so I actually went to a concert on Monday with my friend, and uh, we went to go see this woman, Jessie Ware. She has a new album out, and it was a really, really great show. And I... Um, I've been listening to her for a couple years, like kind of off and on, but, um, she's like a British R and B singer. Um, and yeah, I don't know. She just, she just is, she's sort of like her music to me always feels a little bit like it was written in the night. Like it sounds a little bit retro, like nineties kind of R and B. So it feels really comforting to me because it sounds like stuff that I was listening to in the nineties, but like, except that it's fresh, (laughs) you know, and it's also more modern than that. It's not like it's, it's not totally vintage, but it has like some little 
nice nods to stuff like that. I think, um, like the DJ before she came on was playing Mariah Carey and I was like, yeah, this, that feels right. (laughs) Um, but she just sings really beautifully. And, um, you know, a lot of her songs are really, a lot of them are really romantic. Um, and it was just a really great show. It was a pretty small, um, space and it was sold out, but like, you could just really hear everything and everybody was so excited to be there. And it, it, she has a new album that came out just a few weeks ago. Um, and I had been listening to it a lot, but it was like, it was really fun to see her sing it live. So I definitely recommend, recommend looking up all of her stuff. Um, but her new album is called glass house and you can definitely find it on Spotify or anywhere, which is very good. I will have to look that up cause I have never heard of her. Yeah, I hadn't either. I can't exactly, I still don't really understand how famous she is, but she's definitely like, you know, she makes a living. She's not like super underground or anything. What about you? I don't. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, Hmm. you know, I've started a couple books, but I'm Mm -hmm. not really at a point where I would say, um, I would recommend them. Although I'm, I'm strategically picking books where I can make as much progress on my goal of reading 50 books this year. Mm -hmm. Um, I have 16 more to go. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I, I, I did read the, I'm not really suggesting other people read them necessarily but I did read back to back both Lauren Graham's um Mm, mm -hmm. essay book and Anna Kendrick's Mm -hmm. and considering they both took about three hours to read it Mm -hmm. was wonderful yeah (laughs) it's like check check yeah so I guess I would recommend the celebrity memoir essay genre Mm -hmm. okay they're fun fun breezy reads I think um depends on who you're reading I suppose Mm -hmm. um yeah, but other than that, no, I don't really have anything this week. Um, so I think that I am, well, okay, mm. first I want to say next week we're going to be doing um, Consequences mm-hmm. and Doppelgangland. Yeah, this will be um, good. Two good ones. We get bored now again, so that's yes. excellent. Yes. <laughs> um, but until then, I think I am... You know what? This is maybe one of two times in the entire history that I'm willing to do this, but mm-hmm. I'm Team Sander. Okay. I'm not willing to go that far, but I respect it, and I'm going to be Team Wesley. <laughs> it's your own argument that, that convinced me. So. Uh, dang it. <laughs> I, he's great in this episode. That's fine. I accept. Yeah. He saved the world. <laughs> he did. <laughs> All, right, All right. I will um, talk to you later. Bye. Right, bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.